Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. Before we got on the air, John informed me he's got two dogs in the house this weekend. <laughs> yeah, for the next week, actually. And the, um, and the week. So uh, is has there been a separation? How is How are the two dogs interacting so far? Oh, they're they're okay. Uh, Willie is, you know, weighs forty five pounds now, but uh, Kelsey is a Pomeranian who weighs, I think, at last check, a little over three pounds. But she's uh, she's not afraid to get in the face of the bigger dogs. She's really cute when she chases Willie around the house. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I I have tended to find in in dogs that the smaller they are it seems like the mightier they are mm-hmm. as you get bigger and bigger it, it feels like those dogs are a little bit calmer whereas I, I think the small ones need feel like they need to stand up for themselves so i'm always reminded of the foghorn leghorn cartoons that had the the little chick who'd go around saying i'm a chicken hawk i'm a yeah. chicken hawk <laughs> yeah that uh, if, if you could believe it that reference predates me i don't even know what you're talking about but <laughs> I, i'm sure that some of our audience <laughs> members do uh, so good that we got that out of the way all right look uh it's it's a special edition of the editor's show uh, as we told you last week we are doing the next two fridays and then we'll be taking our break up until training camp so bittersweet right now as we get to the I think thick part of the off season we got mandatory mini camp next week and then it's a it's that big lull until we get to training camp in what will be mid to late july uh, we did it on Friday this week because we had the OTA look yesterday. I was out there. We're going to talk about that in a second. We're once again doing five and five. So what that means is five press tidbits from head coach Andy Reid, followed by five things that I saw with my eyeballs. I'll share that with John and, and see what he thinks. Before we do that, we will get to reviews. Oh, wait, we don't have any reviews. I mean, I don't know what I have what? to do. It, it is like what? pulling teeth. If you leave a preferably five-star review on Apple iTunes, we'll read it right here. You can say whatever you want. You can comment. You can ask a question. You can give us a topic. We'll hit them at the beginning of each and every editor show. And you got one more opportunity probably until late July. So over the next week, I'd love to see three. I'm I'm challenging our, our good listeners to give us three reviews that we can read in our final episode before the break. But let's get right into it, John. It was day nine of 10 OTAs uh, that occurred on Thursday. And after the practice, we got head coach Andy Reid. And we are going to go through some of the key moments from Andy Reid. If you want to listen to the whole 
press conference. As you know, you can always do so right here on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network when we put up from the podium. Steve does a great job with that. But let's get to Andy Reid on these key points. And I, I think a big one was his words on Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor. Here's Coach Reid. So this is all pass game. There, there's no, there's no run game, and then the defensive line pulls off. You know, once they get up the field. So, um, uh, but listen, they're, they're smart guys. They, uh, they're taking good sets and doing the things that they're supposed to do. And uh, you can tell that they've they've played before. They're they're handling themselves right. But and digging in on the the new protections and uh, the snap count in itself. You know, and all those things. Uh, make sure they're ready once we get up to training camp. So you hear Andy Reid talking about Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor, the left tackle and the right tackle, respectively. John, do you think, from a fan base standpoint, we're over the Jawan Taylor left tackle truthers? Are we are we ready to move on from that crazy theory? I think so. I mean, I am. I mean, there's always going to be people who are going to be convinced that Taylor should be playing on the left because of how much he's being paid, but that's Nowadays, that's kind of a silly argument. I think the important thing is that Chiefs spend X amount of money at that as low as as low as possible on the offensive line, and it doesn't really matter where they spend it. And uh, so far, that strategy has been paying off pretty well. The interior of the line is about as good as any in the league, and if these two tackles can play well, I think they'll have an argument to be the best in the league. I want to go back to an article we put up on May... 23rd and this was from Brian Stewart and he, he was commenting on why Jawan Taylor is is suited to play right tackle you know aside from the fact that he's only played that in the NFL and has all this experience there uh, he listed how much the percentage is for key players in the league lining up where A- across from the right tackle listen to these names John Max Crosby of the Raiders 94 percent TJ Watt of the Steelers 96 percent Joey Bosa of the Chargers, 69%. Von Miller of the Bills, 58%. Matt Judon of the Patriots, 69%. Nick Bosa of the 49ers, 61 That's a lot of great players in the league, the majority of the time, lining up against the right tackle versus the left tackle. And so I think if you really lean into that, maybe he didn't get paid enough. Right. Like you can, you can make a case. Uh, so I, I think that's the rebuttal. And I got this out of uh, Blaine Gabbert yesterday during press. We won't play it, but um, ask Gabbert what he thought of Donovan Smith, because they've, they've been together in Tampa. He said one of the most athletically gifted tackles he has seen in 13 seasons. Now, of course, they're teammates. They're sharing a room. Gabbert went on to say that the Chiefs might have one of the best offensive lines in the league, if not the best offensive line in the league. I think the Chiefs internally are feeling pretty good uh, about the way this line has turned out. And I know I've, I've heard several people debate, you know, is this the best offensive line that Patrick Mahomes has had? And I will tell you, and this is, you know, my opinion, I'm weighing in here. I think if it stays healthy, it definitely will be. He has not really had excellent, excellent offensive lines to play with. Probably the best one was last year. And, you know, that included Andrew Wiley, who had notoriously been sort of a a guy that you would put in and and then he was able to earn his stripes, got that nice contract from Washington. I think he was a good, good chief, solid chief, but I I think this will be the best line Pat has uh, so long as Donovan Smith stays healthy. He wasn't healthy last year, but he was an iron horse before that. Yeah, that's going to be the the key issue, uh, both with, 
with him and with Kadarius Tony, you know, we were in the, the, the habit of saying uh, as long as he can stay healthy with Tony, and I think that's going to be the case with Donovan Smith as well. But he has played well uh, when he's been healthy and he's been a reliable player. He's uh, up until last year, he played yeah. in virtually every game for his whole career. So it was, it was it's every game. Depend he, on that. He, he was doing the Mitch Schwartz, Joe Tooney thing mm-hmm. up until last year. And yeah, I mean, he's 29, 30 years old. We'll see about that. You know, you, you, you don't want that trend to, to get started. But before that, he, he tried to play through every game. He re- reportedly played through a lot of injuries last year, which led to a lack of that offensive line protection and production, but he says he feels hundred percent right now. Moving on to other new players. Uh, Reed was asked about wide receiver, Rasheed Rice and running back at Prince. Here's Andy Reed. Yeah. They, listen, I think they've uh, both have done a nice job. Um, again, I think the volume and the tempo and all those things, uh, the newness of uh, the plays, they're in a huddle. There, you know what I'm saying? So that's all in the speed that we go at and, and then the speed, obviously, that the defense presents So they're in the different coverage. So they're, they're, they're working through all that, and um, that's a positive. So we are, we're at practice, and we stand in this circle um, at, at practice. It's probably me and about six or seven media members. We get one a week during OTAs, three the ne- next week. And sometimes – General Manager Brett Veach likes to walk up and, and chat with us, and he was doing so uh, yesterday. Just casually walked up and was talking about some players. I'm telling you, John, he was talking about Daneric Prince as Daneric Prince high points this ball in the end zone, and Coach Reed happened to notice. So when people say, John, that Coach Reed catches everything, <laughs> Coach Reed is watching everything. And and Brett Veach is always coaching up everything as well. I mean, the guy is has a, a good sense of uh, how to handle uh, media personalities. I got to got to give him credit for that. Yeah, and and I think what is starting to stand out is Prince's you know pass catching ability. I think we're going to mm-hmm. have to see on yeah. the pass pro. Uh, we know that Jarek McKinnon is very good at, uh, at that, but we have not seen McKinnon yet uh, as well. I, I wonder if we do see him next week. You know, there's a chance here that in the contract negotiations, Andy was like, we don't need to see you to mandatory minicamp or training camp, that type of thing. We have running backs because Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Michael Pirine um, have been uh, at camp. But I, I just tend to think uh, Prince is somebody to watch. And we already know, John, about the the Dave Tobe factor, where I, I think Dave right now has him penciled in as the kick returner, which should solidify this undrafted free agent at one of those 53-man roster spots. Well, uh, you know, we've had several other players uh, that have made the team uh, wearing number 34 over the years <laughs> who came in uh, as unheralded players on special teams. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that's the way it plays out with uh, Daenerys Prince this year, certainly the way he's looked so far in the OTAs. But it's still early. And and like uh, Coach Reed always reminds us, it's it's just OTAs. We not really tell. We can't. We won't really be able to tell much until we see them in pads hitting each other in camp. That'll be happening sooner rather than later. John, yes. you touched upon it. Kadarius Tony and his health has been a question mark. I, I think throughout this tenure that he's had, both in New York and now in Kansas City, where he missed those handful of games, and there was questions about whether he'd play in certain playoff games. But here was Andy Reid on Kadarius. Yeah, no, he's doing good. So he. Um... Uh, it's it's good to have him out there, and I think he's having fun, you know, and developing a relationship there with with everybody in the quarterback in particular. 
I will have more on, on Tony and this five observation part of it coming up next, but good to hear Andy Reid is confident about the way Tony's coming along. I, I think you could see that he's starting to really have this rapport with Patrick Mahomes. That type of rapport chemistry stuff can only happen if these guys are on the field. So I just think a full off season, a full training camp will be big for Tony. We didn't see him in day six. Again, it's so weird and janky, but day three, we saw him day six. It seemed like they held him back for one reason or another, or he just wasn't available. And then day nine, he was back out there. So I think it was good to see Tony after he missed that last open media session, John. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've actually programmed a, a macro on my keyboard that when I type Kadarius Tony, it immediately follows that with as long as he can remain healthy. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is just, this wow. is just the way where we're at right now, but I think, I think it's appropriate for us to feel that way. Yeah. But, um, but like Gabbert said about, uh, Donovan Smith, this is a part of the game and, right. uh, you, these guys tend to come back and play well. They don't always, which mm-hmm. is why we have the macros installed on our keyboards. But, uh, but you know, at some point we're going to get, uh, most of a season from Tony. That's what the odds would tell us. Uh, whether or not that happens is what we don't know yet. We'll just have to keep watching. Well, and I, it seems a little bit weird in New York for one reason or another, but when you have a player and they're counting on him so much and you look at two seasons and he's played half the games, right? He's played one season and two seasons that sometimes is cause for concern. So we'll see uh, what Rick can do. If, if Rick can solve this thing, John, mm-hmm. and and Tony plays 17 games, I don't think anyone's going to care what the NFLPA survey has to say if they if tony can be on the field for 17 games so we'll see if uh, rick can rise to the occasion in that sense all right let's get to uh this next quote from andy Reid. there was a lot of uh white house chatter at the presser yesterday people really wondering about the white house and i think a, a key part of this uh, aside from the, the spread and some of the stories from from justin reed and and whatnot that we covered on on ap was this idea that man they were in in a way really i I think uh gypped by not being able to go to the the white house in 19 with all covid stuff there was just like a lack of regular celebrations because if you remember right when they were the world champions that's when the world shut down so no white house visit in 2019 so you had some of those repeat players that got to experience that uh this week and here was andy reed on the white house it was kind of fun i mentioned that you know when when i had a chance to talk that well, we're enjoying the heck out of this thing. I mean, and uh, I wish all the guys from that team could have been there too. But um, you know, it, it was great. That was great. And we had a ton. They divided off, um, which I know some of you guys were there. But they divided off the, the crowd. So you had the team and and the Chiefs on the, the organization on one side, and then on the other side you had people that were Chief fans and that live either in D.C. and work or in the surrounding area there. So, um, and both sides were fully loaded. There were a lot of people. And that, that was kind of fun to see. And then the people that were outside by the buses, they, they let people get relatively close there. And, and um, again, the support was, was great. I, you, know, you felt that for the guys. that they And the guys that left had a blast with it. They, they just jumped in like, like it was not, you know, like they were still on the team and, and rolling. So, I, I think my favorite part of this is, you know, a lot of times Andy Reid, now that he's done this twice with with the parade or or even breakup day when the Chiefs lose, they're in the room for the last time together. When you win the title, the White House offers you one final mm-hmm. thing with your old team. And 
I think that was my favorite part. It was cool to see Juju and Colin Saunders and yes, we'll get to it. But Frank Clark that got one more chance, you know, to really celebrate as a chief before now you go on and, and continue the rest of your career. Yeah. I, I just think it would be so cool um, to be in that position. And it's very unfortunate they didn't get that opportunity in 19. And, and I, and I wonder how much it affects uh, how you approach the following year. You know, mm-hmm. could the 20 season have played out differently if the Chiefs had had the opportunity to do that uh, coming out of uh, the 2019 season? And, and remember, 2020 was the run it back year, so there wouldn't have been a lot of mm-hmm. uh, players that that uh, that weren't still part of the team, and they might have been able to carry that, um, you know, into the next part of, uh, the off-season program, maybe it would have made a little bit of difference. Who knows? There are differing theories about that because sometimes you know you feel okay, maybe it gives them momentum. Maybe there's bigger hangover, right? Like this mm-hmm. time, now yeah. you have all of the celebrations. There's the parade. There's also the NFL draft and everything that went into that, right? Kelsey is on SNL and doing all these appearances with with the new heights thing, right? Patrick Mahomes has been everywhere. Uh, now you had them going on a day trip to the White House, right? It's just, I don't know, it's a lot. And so you, yeah. you got you got to hope they they refocus. And and you know, Justin Reed said yesterday that, you know, and you can listen to this again on from the podium. But the page is already turned, which is, I, I think, if you're a diehard Chiefs fan, exactly what you want to hear. Final quote from Andy Reid that we have to play. And as, as soon as this was happening, John, <laughs> I knew I turned. I actually turned to Nate Taylor and I said, make sure that NFL Network and Bleacher Report and ESPN send you a, a check for as many times as they play this quote tomorrow. Um, but here was Andy Reid on the White House spread. Yeah, so um, they had, they did have some good stuff. They had a, a grill. I've never had this before. So a French toast, grilled cheese, and ham sandwich that they sprinkled a little bit of powdered sugar on. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, the guys were – and it was – there was abundance of this, uh, and and then they had uh, chicken fingers, exotic chicken fingers to boot. And then maybe the best part was they had, uh, which I hadn't seen before, but little bite-sized squares of the heart of the watermelon. So whoever, you know, my hat went off to the chef. I went back and talked to him. I mean, I just go, you guys are unbelievable. I mean, whoever cut all of that out and had the patience to do that, that goes off. All right, to here, here's my idea, right? You have opening night. You're having an opening party with your chief fans' friends. Serve these three things. I mean, the things that he described are certainly, I think, items that you could look up and you could have your Andy Reid White House menu as you're watching Chiefs and Lions <laughs> at home at your party. What do you think of that idea, John? I think it's a great idea. Uh, it's apparently called a Monte Cristo sandwich. I never knew this before. Mm. And uh, people apparently are surprised that Andy Reid didn't know what it was. Well, I didn't know either. And, you know, I've been around for 65 years. I've never run across it either, but I'm going to be trying it. I think, uh, you know, we're going to be going on a camping trip here shortly. And I think I may try and rig this up at the campsite. This might be a lot of fun for uh, the kids and the the grandkids to try on on the camping trip. So, yeah, uh, Steve Steve is telling us it's a very high calorie sandwich. I I mean, I've been trying to lose. That's what I love. So you you're into that. I mean, you're you you love that. I've been trying to lose weight. I got to stay away from that. My Monte (laughs) Cristo deal, um, you know, at this stage of my 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 life here. Um, All right. So that's Andy Reid. Again, we have the full presser. And I said it three times now, but it's on from the podium. If you want to go back and listen to the full thing. 
All right, let's get into, so we did the five press things, the five observations that I had from seeing practice with these eyeballs, these, these 30-something-year-old peepers. Um, we, we talked about Prince, uh, and I, I also think that as we're, we love the new, right? We, we, we were always thinking about what, what can, can the new bring in this new season, uh, Justin Ross is another one. I, if you're a listener, if you're a listener of this <laughs> podcast, you know how I feel about the insane hype for Justin Ross when you have other talented players on the team, and that to me includes Sky Moore and Noah Gray. These two stuck out to me in my Thursday look. And I'll remind you, like Andy Reid does, this is a passing camp. This is OTAs. There's not pads. There's not the risk of getting lit up when uh, you catch a pass and there's a defender right there, like you would see maybe in a preseason game or what they call the thud practices of training camp. Sky Moore and Noah Gray, to me, might be hiding in plain sight here when it comes to what what they may bring to the table in 2023. Juju is going to leave a lot of targets on the table. And so they're, they're going to have to be reliable targets beyond Travis Kelsey. And Sky Moore, to me, looks a little bit bigger. He looks a little bit quicker. And uh, I know that he had two drops in 2022. Uh, no, no, nothing was dropped yesterday. And I, I, you could tell there's like a little bit better chemistry and rapport with Mahomes. Maybe that, that comes from his time spent in, in Texas, but I, I've liked the way sky Moore looks. Uh, I want to say, uh, Julian Edelman ish. Maybe that's a little bit early to make it be making that comparison, but I could just really see him being uh, an impact player in the slot for the Chiefs, especially when you have all those targets and yards to fill that Juju is left by going to new England. Gray had this really nice one-on-one catch against Justin Reed. And I'm telling you, Justin Reed looks great, too. And he was blanketing Gray. The way that I can only describe it, it was like a back shoulder pass that really had to be timed up well with Mahomes. And he hit him right in the hands. And he had to really fall to cradle the ball. I mean, this was a tough catch and perfect placement by Mahomes against Reed, who was right on him. And I, I think Gray made some really quiet now like big time catches for the chiefs late uh john you are always on the pulse of snap counts for us you gotta think kelsey's decreasing to you know it's and not i'm not saying he's not gonna be decreased by a lot but let's say maybe in the 60 to 70 percent range i think number gray is is maybe not getting enough attention when it comes to what he could mean for the chiefs from a production standpoint um in 2023 well i i think that that gray has kind of been um, under the radar, even during the regular season. I mean, he he had some great catches last year, but he's, you know, Kelsey is still getting the vast majority of the snaps with the team. Gray's opportunities are coming mostly on second tight end looks um, where he's, you know, primarily going to be a blocker, but he's also made some very impressive plays. And uh, and Ben, when he isn't the focus of the play, a good blocker, he's actually shown himself to be a really good tight end in Andy Reid's system. So in a, to a large extent, he's been under the radar even when they're dressed up for games. And I'll just make a point here that it's never too early to bring up a Julian Edelman comparison. Now, it <laughs> might be too early to say he'll be as good as Edelman. But it's fine, right. I think, to say he'll be that kind of a player for the Chiefs. Let's make that well, let's make that distinction. I just remember Edelman, same size, I believe, is you know a little bit undersized, but mm-hmm. yeah. good hands and you know tough catches up against defenders and really good off the line. Like not necessarily like the fastest blazing guy, but like really quick off the line. It, he looks like him to me. I, you know, we have to see that in the preseason. I know that's a little bit 
early because Edelman Edelman was the man for so long, but we'll see. Uh, second observation: I also think Marquez Valdez Scantling. Um, I also think Marquez Valdez Scantling and Patrick Mahomes timing is on point. I, I noted this last year in OTAs. People kind of laughed when the regular season production wasn't there, but man, Marquez Valdez Scantling was maybe the most important receiver in the stretch of the playoffs or one of them at least. I mean, he made some of those big time catches, the touchdowns. Mm-hmm, right. um, we'll see if the, it leads to regular season production now with, with no juju. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just like what I'm seeing and uh, it's probably going to be similar production. I think, what did he finish between 600 and 800 yards, something like that. I you know, maybe it's the same, but I, again, I, I think so far so good that, you know, it's just kind of like a check, checkbox yeah the chemistry and, and rapport is still there uh you know two years later here well i can't remember i won't be able to recall because i'm an old man exactly which game it was but uh valdez scantling had a very big game when juju was out last year mm-hmm. so i think that's what we're more likely to see I, I think your prediction has a better chance uh to bear fruit during the season in this coming season because he won't have to get past Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he will be closer to being the guy who is the main receiver uh, that's, that's targeted. And I think that will end up giving him more touches this year. Now, of course, if Kadarius Tony is uh, healthy there, I got to use my macro again, uh, then Tony could be that number one guy. Uh, and I think you can make an argument for a couple other players. Some would say one of those players would be Justin Ross, <laughs> but uh, but you know, just from what we know now, Valdez Scantling is in a in the catbird seat to be the the main receiving option for the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, I I think if you were betting on it, you'd probably say that targets and yards after Kelsey would would go to MVS or or Tony. Mm-hmm. I like more yeah. as a little bit of a dark horse there. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I can't. Now you, now you're in my head, John. But if Tony stays healthy, <laughs> he should have the next targets uh, after after Kelsey. Uh, but if you're betting on it, wouldn't you bet on MVS? I, I feel like he would be the favorite if we were like making odds for this type of thing, just because of of Tony's track record and, and health and MVS last year in, in those spots. Sure. Sure. Uh, speaking, I, I think speak, between those two, it would be one of them. Yeah. This is my third observation, and I teased it before. I, I think Tony looks as healthy as he's looked to me. And um, what I mean is, uh, and we've been joking about it all show, but when you watch Kadarius, you don't only watch him in the sense of a- any other player. What can he do this year? You watch him in the sense of, like, is he going to be fine when he's turning like a wild man? Uh, he's got that knack to his game like Tyreek Hill did where um, I'm going to describe it. You know, you catch the pass, stop on a dime. You give the left and the right juke, left, right, juke, left, right, juke fast. You know, he, they can do four jukes in, in the time of, of one one for because they're that fast and then really cutting hard and then him being fine, him falling down to practice. And then, you know, you, you have that moment where you're watching 19 and you're like, wait, he just fell down. OK. All right. He's good. OK. Um so far, you know, in, in these looks, again, limited, but um, looks like he's falling, getting back up, turning quick, stopping on a dime. Uh, now this is going to have to continue into the summer. Uh, John, do you have anything else to add about Tony? We've been talking about him a little bit here. <laughs> well, uh, I think that we always talk about uh, the Chiefs having a good um, sports medicine department that they can keep these guys playing. And uh, I think 
a lot of people are hoping that Tony will be able to take advantage of that and be able to play a full season. Um, whether or not the Chiefs actually have it over other teams in this area is very hard to calculate, but it's possible that that, that is the case. But it's also possible that the Chiefs also in their coaching are able to take Tony aside and say, okay, you've got the talent to make this move, but that move risks an injury. So maybe you shouldn't make that move. And I wonder if that's the real thing that the chiefs do that helps them keep their players on the field is that they're coaching. uh, They're coaching some of these risky tendencies out of players. That's just well, some speculation on my part. Well, you started with Tyreek in Kansas City and now in Miami. Uh, Tyreek makes you you they're typically called business decisions. But how much can you blame Tyreek when he ducks out of bounds and still is accumulating near 2000 yards a season? I mean, sure. It, sure. Yeah. He's making his business decisions, but that's keeping him on the field. To, right. So should we be describing it in the same way? And yeah, I think there is something to that. You wonder if, if Tony has some of that built into his coaching. I uh, want to talk about Nazi Johnson, nice player for the Chiefs that they drafted late last year, had two pass breakups in this look. I, I might go as far as to say, and this occurred to me this morning, with just how good Nazi Johnson, A, has looked, and then Nick Jones, um, you know, more so in, in some of those sub-teams or secondary teams. Um, I, I, I wonder if you could lock in what the cornerback room is, is going to look like. They kept six last year, um, and I, I was – you know, with 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 Johnson also being so important now to Dave Tobe, calling him one of the better gunners that he's had in a long time. Um, could the cornerback room be done here? Because it, if you keep six, it's Sneed, it's McDuffie, it's Jalen Watson, uh, Joshua Williams. You have Nazi Johnson and then Nick Jones, which is you know this year's seventh rounder. I don't, I don't think they're going to want to uh, risk him getting scooped up by somebody else. Uh, last year, that sixth player was Lamans. He's no longer with the team and. You have Nazi Johnson filling that special teams void. Are are we good on June 9th, John, at 10.36 a.m. to lock in <laughs> the 53-man roster cornerback room? What about uh, what about Jamari Connor? Where does he fit into well, this? They're, they're, they've been running him as a safety. As a so, safety? Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, so. but, but he's kind of a dual-role player, and right. so I'm not exactly sure what box he fits in but I expect there will be space for him on the roster someplace, but I agree. Uh, they've got a lot of guys in camp. Um, and it might be that that roster is very close to being set with the guys that they drafted, which is bad news for some of these other players, but you know, they were very high on uh, Johnson last year and uh, they're similarly high on Jones this year. So they may in fact be the last two guys of the group of six. I made that point last year when they made the Rashad Fenton trade. Mm -hmm. You know, it was less about the top guys and more about Nazi Johnson. It was Mm -hmm. if we keep Fenton after he's done with this injury, we're risking Johnson getting claimed. You know, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to wave him to the practice squad. And right. They moved. And guess what? They won. You know, Fenton was a. He was a really important player for Spags. Spags would rave, rave about him. They ship him off in this trade for essentially nothing to the Falcons. And then they go and win the Super Bowl. So right decision so far. Uh, I think keeping Johnson was really smart, especially because he's so valuable to Tobe at the back end of that room. And I, I think he, he's starting to show early here in the passing camp that maybe he could step up in a spot where uh, you do get down a few cornerbacks. All right, last observation here. Um, this is just something I, I found fun. Uh, the fact that Andy Reid explained that you know this week here in, in June 
the first three days were about the AFC West teams game planning specific versus them. Uh, one of the the practice that we saw, we didn't follow up with this. The practice we saw was against one of the AFC West teams. They were doing the scout team uh, ones versus twos type of thing. Friday night uh, or Friday, I should say, the practice we don't get to see today as we're talking is about the Detroit Lions. So here on June 9th, they are making specific game planning uh, for the Lions or for this game that occurs, what, in like 90, 85, 90 days. A, you know, I'm not sure how many teams are game specific right now. Maybe it's every team. Maybe every team does this. I, I think it is early for specific game planning, but who am I? I mean, I, I, I've only covered the Chiefs. I know that Andy Reid likes to do this in the offseason. Um, B, regardless of whether or not um, this game is is going to be here before we know it, so why not start preparing for the the great offense of the Detroit Lions and and their rebuilt defense and, and whatnot, John? Well, and the other reason is they got to play on Thursday night right after that. Yeah. Isn't that right? Isn't it's, yeah. it's, it's second week is, is a Thursday night game. So I think they're already planning to, you know, do that preparation uh, more or less simultaneously. So I think that translates into having a practice in OTAs that's about the Detroit Lions. So, yeah, it, it sounds early, but as you just said, I think correctly, it'll be here before we know it. Um, and, and uh, it, it's not that unreasonable to think they could be looking that far ahead at, under the circumstances that exist. Yes, uh, the schedule uh, has the the Lions. That's the first. And then they do get 10 ga- days off, John. That's the only non-Christmas oh, Day right, noon game of the, the year. Yeah, at, yeah, yeah. At the Jaguars. So, yeah, um, sorry. My bad. But, it's no, I second, just want to make yeah. sure that we say that. Yeah, but we we, yeah. we do see the AFC West and uh, – you know, early in the season, they got there's that weird stretch where they play the Broncos week six and week eight. Frank Clark's Broncos. They get they get a shot at Frank Clark twice in three weeks. So um, that is a, a stretch they're preparing for right now. Of course, you play the AFC West teams um, twice a year here. So we talked about Sky Moore and Noah Gray. I think MBS looks well. I think Kadarius Tony looks as healthy as I've seen him in a long time. Uh, Nazi Johnson, we highlighted. And then the Chiefs preparing for those pesky lions already today as we speak john so five uh press items and five observations from day nine of otas will get mandatory mini camp starting on tuesday of next week it's actually nice because the chiefs have to be there so we can ask about injuries and who's not there what's going on um and then uh also we'll get all three days so busy week at arrowhead pride coming up for us but uh we look forward to it and then the chiefs actually get their rings on thursday i believe I guess aside from Banner Night, marking the end of the Super Bowl celebrations, finally, I think, uh, what is that? Whatever next Thursday is, June, whatever. Um, once they get their rings, then they can officially, officially, I think, move on to trying to defend that title. All right, those are five and five right now. Um, you're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. When we come back, we will go through the news roundup of the past week. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. John, uh, we had some tough news uh, to start this week with Norma Hunt uh, passing away at 85. She had been to every single Super Bowl, of course, the wife of the late, great Lamar Hunt. I think some really nice words from Andy Reid at the beginning of yesterday's presser catch those on, on from the podium, but uh, a tough loss, I think both for the chiefs and the NFL. You know, in a lot of circumstances, uh, Norma hunt would have been the next owner of the chiefs when Lamar hunt died. A lot of times, you know, as we've seen wives take over franchises when their husbands die and Norma hunt, would have been someone who could have done it possibly better than a lot of these wives who take over for their husbands uh, when their husbands pass on, but they had been grooming Clark hunt for the job. And he was a young, a young man and could do it for a long time. And I think it was smart uh, of Lamar hunt to, you know, get Clark out there and teach him the ropes while he was still alive so that he could hit the ground running as an owner uh, right away. But I think Norma hunt had, um, was kind of in the background as far as the public was concerned, but I think she had a very, what we're, what we're getting now in the comments people are making about her. I think she had a pretty outsized influence uh, on what was going on with the team, both while Lamar was alive and after Lamar was gone. I think, uh, I think she was an assistance that gave assistance to Clark as well. So um, it's a big loss for the organization. And I I hadn't even thought about it, uh, relating it to uh, the appearance at the White House. But, um, you know, how big it was is reflected in the fact that Clark was not there. Um, I think if your football team goes to the White House, you figure out a way to go, even if your mother just died. And the fact that that Clark missed the event uh, after his mother had died the day before tells you a lot about what she meant to him and the rest of the family. Yeah, you can look on Chiefs.com. There are, I think, tributes that the team is putting out, some some good items. I, I believe the team historian Bob Moore is involved in in making sure that she's remembered in the proper way. And and a tough week as the Chiefs go to the White House and, and deal with that, I, I think, as, as an organization, how fitting, you know, the last Super Bowl that she got to go to, the Chiefs end up leaving with the Lombardi Trophy. I think a really cool um, you know, part of this thing, of course. Uh Prayers and thoughts go out to to the family. And again, check out that stuff at Chiefs.com. I think they're doing a really nice job um, on the mothership, making sure that she's remembered in the right way. All right, uh, John, I want to get back to the OTA day nine list. I put this out on ArrowheadPride.com. The absentee list that we saw. Uh, first thing is the good news. Uh, Felix Anaduke Uzama had been dealing with injuries since being drafted by the Chiefs in our looks, rookie camp and OTAs he had been limited he was actually participating in team yesterday for the first time so he should be good to go I think for training camp there was some questions about that absent at the practice tight end Blake Bell linebacker Leo Chanel tight end Jody Fortson defensive tackle Chris Jones Jarek McKinnon Isaiah Pacheco Dustin Ross Trey Smith Lajarius Sneed 
Jalen Watson, Turk Wharton. We know about Wharton and Pacheco. These other guys, there's a little bit of a mystery to them. Second practice in a row for Mike Edwards, the safety at the, the, the Chiefs signed off uh, the Tampa Bay team. He didn't have his helmet for the second consecutive day. Trent McDuffie also with uh, at practice without a helmet. These guys had uh, compression sleeves on their on one leg each. So seems to be just precautionary. I think it's the thing of let's not press these guys um, as we go. The ones that that stick out to me, uh, I, again, I, I think are Chris Jones. And, you know, you have to look toward next week now that it's a mandatory and you can get fined. Uh, is this more of a statement or is this just a veteran, you know, not necessarily wanting to be uh, at OTAs? I, I'm not looking too far into Justin Ross, but you have to note it because of his injury history. He's the seventh or eighth receiver on this team. I, I think he needs to be participating in everything if he's going to reasonably make it. And he and he wasn't there yesterday. Of course, these are voluntary. There's varying reasons why players are not there. There's all the chance in the world that we see him at mandatory next week. But I think that's also something to watch for next week. Any any other items stick out to you when it comes to this absentee list, John? No, I, other than to remind folks that because it's voluntary, we shouldn't drop too much into it. I, but we say this all the time and people still say, oh, but he wasn't at the practice. So, um, you know, it it we shouldn't get too worked up about it, but we can't help but mention it and report on it and talk about the, it. So the, the practice is next week where you can get fined, I think, are right. way more defining than than some of these. But look, this is what we get. And they're still worth noting and, and monitoring and, and whatnot. That's that's part of the gig here. Uh, standout quotes I thought from um, yesterday, not Andy Reid. We went over Andy Reid was uh, Blaine Gabbert saying, <laughs> describing uh, this is this is the new competitive prick for 2023. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert describing Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes as maniacal perfectionists. Uh, <laughs> what a way to describe them! And based upon a lot of the things you read, you know the 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 stories and the features that dig a little bit deeper. You can see that this is true with these two guys, and it goes yeah. into exactly why uh, you know they, they're they're so talented. And you know, Gabbert, again, he's this new guy, been in the league over ten years, pretty much a career backup. You know, at, at this stage, he he said he he thinks that these two guys are the best players of all time, which is I think speaks volumes, especially considering Mahomes has only had two Super Bowls at the moment. Yeah, maniacal perfectionist it almost sounds like uh an austin powers villain to me that, that's what that's the image i get in my mind is is an austin get powers in villain. my belly <laughs> i love austin powers i bet um, i haven't seen austin powers in years and years but i i certainly believe that that is one of those movies that we like thought was really funny at the time and there'll be some cringe moments like i don't think you'd be able to say that right now in 2023 you know what i mean <laughs> Um, well, Bond movies are timeless. You can watch yeah. a Bond movie from 1962 <laughs> and it's great, but I'm not sure you can say that about Austin Powers. So, right. okay, uh, let's move on. Justin Reed, this uh, this jumped out to me because you, you hear these defensive players talking about how uh, much volume there is when it comes to learning Steve Spagnuolo and all the different things he likes to do as far as disguising coverages, you know, man zone. He, he likes to use a lot of different personnel groupings. Uh, this stood out to me because Justin Reed says at one point, yeah, you know, I used to be in, uh, used to be with teams that would have seven plays. And now, you know, we have north of 30 and it's really hard to game plan for. Justin, you've only been with one team. So the Texans <laughs> only ran seven defensive plays a game. 
Like, no wonder they don't win games. <laughs> I just noticed that. Well, it's 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 still an interesting perspective, and I do think though that that uh, we often talk about this that you know this player has only been with one team. What does he know about the league? I think players talk to each other a lot more than we realize and and talk to each other about what goes on at their teams, um, especially when we're talking about interconference teams where they, they there's not too much to worry about in terms of giving away, you know, something that might matter in the next game between the teams. But I think players talk to each other a lot. And mm-hmm. I think there's a and I think it's possible for them to know more then we realize, for example, Justin Reed might know that, you know, there's six other teams where he knows that they have more plays than that, that they put go out there on game day. That's something he might know from talking to other players. Uh, so I think that's something we should always remember. But you make a great point, though. You know, based on his personal experience, he doesn't know that much. Right. <laughs> I just think it's funny. I, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a window open. Uh, if our Houston friends can can hear that. Sure. Or... Yeah. Uh, maybe Steve can share it with uh, our, our friend Ron Hughley, who his day gig is covering the Texans and a little <laughs> bit embarrassing, but they got a new head coach now. So you hope that Houston and they made some big moves in the NFL draft. You hope that they are are on the way up. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, speaking of Houston and players that came from Houston, DeAndre Hopkins, he visited the Titans and the Patriots. I don't think this thing is happening. All the smoke has kind of told you that the Chiefs and Bills are out because of the money. Uh, I think Chris Jones would have to happen first. And if Chris Jones doesn't happen first or soon, which I, you know, I tend to think it's going to be more of a summer thing. You're not going to have the money to do it. Uh, when Odell Beckham Jr. gets 15 million, we've said it on the podcast before. I think that has to be the floor, which is part of the reason Hopkins hired an agent. And I, I think it's going to be a combination of both championship aspirations and money. And the Chiefs and Bills have those championship aspirations. They have the quarterbacks, but they don't have the money right now and i think that's going to be uh where it where the the conversation ends like the titans and patriots you wouldn't call them necessarily contenders but they're probably tier two interesting teams and because they have enough money i think that's kind of a location that he lands in well i think i i very carefully read an article that was on the internet yesterday that was making the claim that the chiefs and bills were still in the running to be um suitors for oh for i thought Hopkins. you were going to tell me about the ufo in vegas that <laughs> no no it was similar to that but uh, yes. but not about the ufo in vegas okay um and i read it very carefully and if you parse out these comments that some of these teams are making where they say they're they're not interested in hopkins well yeah that's you could interpret it that way but what they're basically saying is we're not shutting the door on him and uh, a lot of the 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 so-called evidence that says the Chiefs and the Bills are still in is starting to get pretty old. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really starting to smell bad. It's so yeah. old now, uh, you know. We're, and and I and I it kills me that Hopkins can be in an interview and say, well, "What quarterbacks would you like to play for?" Well, yeah. what wide receiver isn't going to say he'd like to play with Patrick Mahomes? I mean, come on. Anybody's right. going to say that. And yet we use this as evidence that Hopkins wants to play for the Chiefs for the next three months. Well, we it's should, crazy. It's we, just crazy. We shouldn't. I think sometimes we take too much offense to players that like go after more money a little bit. I mean, I if the money is similar sometimes, okay, I, 
Look, he didn't mm-hmm. want to come to Kansas City. But, you know, Juju, for example, when the Chiefs are trying to retain him and then you have New England who are offer- is offering significant amount of money. Like, what would you do? I, I, you, you know, yeah. you've already had been really successful at this one job. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone wants you to do the same thing for three, four, five more millions of dollars. I understand we're talking about like a lot of money. It's just I don't know. I, I don't love that trope of like, oh, you didn't want to play with Patrick. Mah- I'm sure he does want to play with Patrick. Mahomes. He doesn't sure. want to do it for at this point. Right, John, like eight hundred thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> for, for a veteran oh, salary. Benefit million and in yeah. <laughs> incentives like no, it's 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 Hopkins. And unfortunately, he saw his his counterpart get, get this deal after not even playing. So it's, it is what it is. I, I think that kind of changed the game. Um you know, the Chiefs end up getting their their left tackle who, you know, we commented on um, what Gabbard said. So I, I think they're in pretty good shape there. Who knows? I, you, like you never say never in the NFL. I just think it's it's over when it comes to Casey and Buffalo in particular. And we'll see where he ends up. That's at least what the odds say as well. The odds are saying right now that Cleveland, mm-hmm. yeah. Tennessee, New England, those are the teams that seem most likely. Um, John, you I know you love this. Dave Tobe came up to the podium. We didn't get to talk about it last uh, show. And he said, I don't care about your stupid kickoff rules. We're taking the ball out of the end. <laughs> yeah, well, he's getting a lot of flack for that. And and perhaps reasonably <laughs> so. Because um, I, I, I think this is, this is going to make enough of a difference in the way kickoffs are played that he really needs to think about. Maybe this is a place where we have to change how we look at things. Uh, but I, I trust Tobe to make that kind of change uh, to look at it objectively right now. I think he's just reacting to something that he doesn't like. And um, I think I'd do the same thing. If I were in his shoes, I'd be like, Oh, this, this pisses me off. You know, I'm at the age where I can do that kind of thing. And people look at me and go, yeah, well, he's old. That's the way he is. But I also think that Tobe will be that type of thing. Yeah. Right. 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 It's a, it's a newspaper headline. Old man yells at sky. (laughs) And, um, so, uh, but I think he also is a really smart guy. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had the level of success he's had for so long. And I think he's going to take another look at this and say, hmm, well, maybe we need to change what we do. Um, and I'm sure that's something he and Andy Reid are going to talk about at great length. I, I know we tend to think that Tobe is the guy and he just does all this stuff on his own. And Steve Spagnola does all this stuff on his own and everything that happens on special teams and defenses all comes out of the heads of those guys. But let's not kid ourselves. Andy Reid is the head coach and he's the one who's giving them their marching orders about what generally he wants them to do. So I think Tobe is going to be talking to Andy Reid about it, just like Spagnuolo talks to Reid about the general shape of the defense. Yeah, and I, I think it is interesting. It'll be it'll be something to watch. Where how does each special coordinator, special teams coordinator, attack this new rule? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. some may change it altogether, where they say no, we're fair catching everything, whereas others might say like Tobe, sure, fair catch everything. We're still going to take a shot here, and if you have a Nile Davis again type of kick returner, and you really feel like you have that, like I don't know, it's hard to blame them for maybe trying to get bonus yardage, but we'll see. Then there's the whole Patrick Mahomes argument and right right you can get really you know deep down a a tough road we're up against it a little bit here uh as is usual for us we love to yap so very quickly the pff has highlighted patrick mahomes travis kelsey and creed humphrey at the best at their positions john we can quickly cover that by saying no duh thank you know that was good (laughs) and and then the other part is it's about time for kelsey which sure has has been annoying for years and years 
Richie James, I want to talk a little bit more about this. Top the strange list. You covered this for us at, at AP, uh, and it was, I want to get this right, the CROE, which is the percentage that a player will complete a, a pass. And essentially, John, and correct me if I'm wrong, what this means is of all the players in the NFL, he was the best at making tough catches. Is that correct? Uh, unexpected catches. Unexpected. Uh, it's catches. yeah. Uh, it catch uh, catches made over expectation. Okay. Is what the OE stands for. I, I guess I'll just have to eat my crow. You see that, John? That's <laughs> over yeah, so expectation is, is, is C-R-O-E. Yes. Yeah. That that's the key phrase. Is that this is a count because it's it. We're talking about a next gen stats uh, statistic. So they have data that comes to the little chips the players wear that show where they are on the field at all times and the and the system knows where the ball is so they can make calculations about how close uh, two players are to each other at the moment the ball arrives in the vicinity of the receiver and they can get right down into some very detailed information that's very specific very precise and so they're making a calculation about how likely it is that the average receiver would make a catch, make a particular catch. And they, they make this calculation for every catch on the field. And then they have that, that's a, a percentage, okay? Mm-hmm. That yeah. 70% of the time this catch would be caught, this, this ball would be caught. Well, it turns out that James catches those balls at like an 85% rate. And so that means he is catching balls above expectations. Now, that's a good thing. It's not the only thing that matters with a wide receiver, but it's a good thing for a guy who has an average depth of target of seven or eight yards, which is exactly where James was with the Giants last year, where he was the most productive he'd been for his whole season. If you're out there close to the line of scrimmage, there's not very much space to work in. There's a lot of defenders, you know, right around the line of scrimmage. So if you're in a position that you can make a contested catch or a difficult catch, that's good for a guy who's going to be operating in that kind, that part of the field. It doesn't make him the best wide receiver in the league, but it makes him really good at an important part of a wide receiver's job. I think Richie James is on this team. I know that we had talked about, well, how do you get one of the Rosses if you're just assuming Richie James is on the team? Well, he's going to be the punt returner, and he was really productive on a crappy old Giants team. I know they ended up, what, they won a playoff game against the fraud Vikings, but a you know, really not-so-great <laughs> Giants team and you know was able to have a breakout season of sorts. I think he's going to be important for special teams. Uh, he has the 500000 of dead money if he moved on, and – this is where I'm, I'm going to give you a, a really quick roster theory that I have. But I think if one of the rosters break through, it might be the end of Watson. And that goes back to that Jermaine Carter thing where we just assumed Carter would make the team uh, because he was guaranteed. It was a similar amount, wasn't it? It was like one point-ish, mm-hmm. $1.4 million. Yeah, mm-hmm. Something over we a million. We were talking about yeah. this on Slack this week. And I, I think if, if, if we know the top four are locked, right? So you're keeping the rookie rice. You have Sky Moore. Um, you have uh, it was Marquez Valdez Scantling and Kadarius Tony. So, the, you know, those are locked in. Let's say James is lock and you're not going to get to seven. Remember, Andy Reid has never kept seven receivers in 13 or 11 years now uh, in Kansas City. So you're looking at six receivers. You know, Watson, to me, yeah, he did some returning last year, but maybe he's more of an offensive, you know, part of you for you, like a wide receiver five. 
if you end up thinking, okay, Justin Ross, who, by the way, appeared on Peter Schrager's breakout list. And Schrager, we know, talks to the front office here uh, and, and wouldn't be putting on a, on the list if, if he's not hearing some things in, in Kansas City. Justin Ross is that player for you. Uh, he, he can get the Tony Macro, John, that we've been talking about as well. If, if Justin <laughs> Ross is, is that player for you, who is left out? And I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking I might be going back on my thoughts that that Watson is just a, a given to make the team because if if it's if it's a if it's your cookie cutter is six players here, and that that's where the, this the main part of the theory comes here. If your your cookie cutter is six players here, who who gets cut? And maybe it's more Watson than James, and you just end up beating that money to say like, okay, well, one of the Rosses has just a way higher ceiling than a Watson. What 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 do you think? I think this is going to be very difficult to figure out. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens uh, at practices we haven't seen yet, a mandatory mini camp, and then more importantly, they want training to know camp. now. They want to I know. know now. I know. And and I and I I'm sorry, but I just can't wrap my head around a final answer on this at this point. There are so many variables that go into this thing. I made the point with you yesterday when we were talking on Slack about this, I think it was yesterday, sometime this week, that I think what we might be seeing here is that Brett Veach has decided that spending a million or two dollars for insurance uh, back around the time that free agency begins is a smart move. Yeah. That if he, you know, that he talks to, to, to Justin Watson and says, well, we'd like to have you around. But, um, you know, I'm not sure that we can we can promise you a spot on the roster, you know, because we we have this plan to get this player in the draft and this player in free agency. But those things might not work out. But we'd like to go ahead and lock you up to a contract right now just in case we can't get those guys. And Justin Reed will say, as he should, "Okay, fine, then guarantee my money. Right. You know, guarantee yeah, me one point four million dollars and I'll be I'll be your Huckleberry. You know, I'll not, be your not, backup guy. <laughs> and it's not but it's not even like it's not even just Watson that Beach has to call. He's got to call good old Clark and say, Hey Clark, how do you feel about potentially flushing one point four million dollars of your money down the toilet? <laughs> and Clark right, right. Clark has to say, <laughs> right. Well, you can guarantee us we're going back to the Super Bowl, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Veach says, of course, of course, we're going to go back to Super Bowl. But see, uh, I think I could see how Veach would see this as a smart play, for a smart way for him to use a couple of million dollars is to have that kind of insurance invested in the player back at the beginning of free agency. Maybe that's the way they're looking at it. And we're and we're we're assigning too much importance to having a million dollars in dead money uh, because that guy has to be released at the end of training camp. We will certainly talk more about this after our big editor show break um chiefs night at the k if you want to see your chiefs and some really bad baseball you can go to the k on june 12th patrick <laughs> mahomes travis kelsey and andy reed will be there kelsey's gonna get another shot at this first pitch that he completely botched at that cleveland guardians opening day game uh it's pretty much been confirmed that he will be throwing out the first pitch so we'll, we'll see if he can redeem himself i, I think there are tickets on the royals promotion page that you know this this will be a I think that's a, a good move by the Royals to get people out to the, ball, in the ballpark. They have not looked great, and the hitters are all right. The pitching has not been good, uh, so you get people out by bringing in some of the world champs uh, to the park and telling them they get to see Kelsey try to redeem himself um, for this first pitch. Our final story here, John, Frank Clark ends up signing a deal with the Denver Broncos, $5.5 million guaranteed. 
despite Chris Jones's uh, wishes here, uh, no Frank Clark to the Chiefs. They were not able to bring him back. I think this is a hard reminder, and I, I try to tell you guys this, that once the Chiefs move on, the Chiefs move on, especially in this regime. Uh, we don't see the players come back a lot. I know it was a, a dream of some fans to say, okay, well, you're not going to pay him this. Maybe we can pay him that, but uh, Clark will be a member of the Denver Broncos. A tough taste in, in the mouth. I, I saw a uh, a frequent joke yesterday, John, of, well, they're not going to have playoff Frank because they don't even make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. Whatever. I, I'm not losing sleep over this. I mean, it, it, it was a player that really was a big part of the playoff runs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Left room to be desired in the regular season. You got a good young core in that defensive line room. And I still think that the Chiefs will end up signing a veteran defensive end. And it might just be Dunlap again, right? I, I think yeah, that, that, could, that be. could be the case. Uh, any any strong reaction to Frank Clark as a member of the Denver Broncos, John? No, not really. I mean, I think he was underrated for the Chiefs. I think he was making so much money that people tended to look at his production uh, with a with a cloudy eye. They didn't see a lot of the stuff because they they didn't like the money he was making. And I think in his final year with Kansas City, when he had made a very favorable deal to stay, uh, then people could see him more clearly. And he was a he was a guy that that served a role in the Kansas City offense. But they couldn't afford to pay him five and a half million dollars. They to were do never going to do that. Yeah, I, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I I think this was a, a mistake by Denver. Let's say everything in a vacuum, right? I do not think the Chiefs personnel staff was looking at the body of work of Frank Clark. And even if they had $10 million in cap space right now, which they don't, but I, I don't think that they were guaranteeing Frank Clark five and a half million dollars. And I, I think that yeah. was not a good move by Denver. Uh, our flash poll, how many sacks will Frank Clark have in two regular season games against the Chiefs? First one's week six at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, zero, at least one, at least two or three or more. What do you think Chiefs fans said, John? Zero. Yeah, that's right. 45.6% <laughs> said zero. <laughs> 35.6% said at least one. 9.8% said at least two. And then Broncos got into the voting. I, I could tell Broncos fans 3.0 or more. I do like this comment from William Miller. He said probably 30 plus. You've seen the offense. They can't do anything. Defense will be on the field most of the game. So the uh, the Chiefs fans out there are definitely taking this one in stride. All right. Uh, you know about the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We got from the podium up there right now we're continuing our off-season scheduling here uh we'll be having some content up for you throughout the off-season and we put up a stock watch as well this week price has been doing a, a good job with that so check out all, all our shows right here on the airhead pride podcast network uh if you like the show we need your reviews I'm, i've challenged the listenership to give us three reviews for next week so we can end on a good note as we head into our break if you want to remember the 2022 season i have that book link twitter.com slash screen it's dynasty begins thank you to Stephen Serta. Thank you to John Dixon. This has been another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work.